Welcome to the Jewish Intel Podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage himself, the one, the only, Mr. Steve Herzing. How are you, sir? I'm good. If in case you see Chris's eyes looking crazy, <laughs> they're washing our windows, Chris. That's right. They are washing our windows as we do the podcast. Hello, window washers. We get window washers. That's hilarious. Well, welcome in, everybody. We got a great show for you. Steve is back in the podcast room. Great to have you back, Steve. Uh, it's great to be back. You know, I was with uh, all those retired people in, it was, they're great folks, but I got to tell you, when you're hanging around all older people, all of a sudden my bones hurt. I, I just said, I think I have stuff. What do you mean? Well, you're, I was in the, uh, uh in the, on the, um, dining hall with them and the ages went from about in their mid sixties to nineties. Right. Great people. But it, for me. Now, remember, when I was in fifth grade and I was learning about elephantitis, I limped all the way home. I thought I had it. Oh, you're one of those people. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm the same way as you. I think I said, I think I have it. Well, now I'm I'm with all retired people. That's all you see. So, you know, you don't see anybody else. And all of a sudden, everything in my body started to ache. And I wondered, <laughs> I think I'm coming down with something. Can I remember this? I, I don't know. I wonder... I wonder if this is it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to watch a show uh, that was on television called House. Do you remember the show House? I, I know about it. Yep. I've actually seen a couple clips on YouTube. Yeah. So it's the whole thing. It's If you've never watched House before, it's about a doctor who's got his own issues, but he's a specialist. And when people come in with these medical issues that there is no explanation for, he provides the explanation. So anyway, everything always came down to some crazy, serious disease. And every time, you know, they talk about one disease and you're like, oh, my goodness, do I have that I, disease? I'm telling I'm you, feeling some me. tingling in my fingers. Or I'm telling you. All so, of a sudden, my heart starts palpitating and I, I got to stop watching this show. I'm the, I'm the same way. And that's why when I was down there, I thought to myself, oi, I don't know if I should ever go into one unless I have to go. Otherwise, I, I'll never make it. I'm, <laughs> I need to have a diverse crowd, a little young, a little old. Uh, my my favorite, I was teasing you last week, but still my favorite line from you in describing that place uh, is um, you, when you said it on the podcast last week, so I'm only quoting you. Yep. You said, uh, you come in to this retirement you're home. You're healthy. You're healthy. They feed you some meals. You start to lose your memory. Yep. And then boom, you're You're done. in assisted living. <laughs> and they do a great job. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. I was at Pittsburgh Village. They do a great job. Uh, they are non-governmental. Mm. They are. They are. They meet. They have. They have this. Con they have quarterly conferences. That's amazing. Um, and the people come. It's a wonderful place. I'm just my personality. With you know, I sit next to somebody who's telling me about this is hurting, and, th and then my th whatever it is, it starts to yep. hurt. And you're like, what's going on? My elbow is starting <laughs> to hurt. You got to get out of there. My back is killing me. It was fine before, but <laughs> you got to get out of there. <laughs> That's right. Well, uh, hey, everybody, we've got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to be continuing our study in Daniel. We're going to be moving to Daniel chapter two, which is fantastic. We're moving along. We're Chris. moving on up. And so we're going to keep moving through the book of Daniel. Uh, but before you continue, Chris. I think you ought, you know, you're a busy guy. We're busy. We're busy, like all over the place. You're traveling here. You were just down in Florida. We were in Tampa. That's yeah, right. You're like an in and out guy, like the in and out burger. Oh, that's, I love being in and out. That is Chris. He's in. Boom. 
And he's there. He preaches. And by the way, I think we gave a shout out last week to to the couple uh, who saw you at the oh, church. Oh yeah, right? our we friends, gave a shout out. our friends who fall asleep listening to us. Fantastic. Which I can I can't get that out. I of think my they head. might be coming. You and I are about to. I, right. I leave tomorrow night for Tampa again. We're going down to. You and I will both be at. Our conference, That's right. the Proclaim you got Conference. four and eight, and I got two and six. That's right. And you are very kind to sacrifice. You actually, Everyone, I want you to know the sacrificial spirit <laughs> of our one and only sage, the Mr. Steve Herzig here, is that we have all been given a certain amount of messages to give during the conference from the biggest of the big machers, uh, Dr. Jim Showers. And so what happens is... I get two, Steve gets two. But the problem is, is Steve's speaking at so many, I'm speaking at so many. So when Steve and I, we both had the same messages because there are other conferences going on where I need to do these numbers and Steve needs to do. So finally, Steve and I are speaking at the same conference, which means one of us had to create new content. And Steve said, don't worry about it. I will create another two messages. So Steve developed... Four messages. I've only had to do two. Yeah, so- wait till you hear my two. Then you'll say, Ay. <laughs> At least he said he would do it, but yeah, if that's what we get, maybe we ought to rethink it. Well, and then I, I, I keep thinking we should just have the Jewish sage do all four messages. Uh, you know? I, don't, I don't need the aggravation. <laughs> so if listen, if you're in the if you're listening to the podcast right now and you are in the Tampa area and you're unfamiliar with the uh, with Friends of Israel and our conferences, our Proclaim conferences, I encourage you to come on out. We're but, at Word of Life. We're at Word of Life. And we're going to be doing our topic is uh, the world on edge. Uh, we're looking at kind of the global changes that are happening. And there are changes that are happening globally, Steve. I mean, Chris, I'm on edge all the time now. Since we had this conference, I'm on edge all the time. <laughs> I think I, you titled the message last time, Living on the living Edge. Living on the Edge. <laughs> Even though the title of the conference was The World on Edge, you're like, we're living on the edge, we, people. We are living on the edge. And I'm telling you, the seven people listening right now will back me up. We are living on the edge. Oh, we're living on it the edge. It is crazy. It really is. And there's a lot of movements that are happening globally. You know, I, I loved this uh, video that I saw online the other day of a woman um, who goes outside. And this is the type of person that you love, Steve. The guy lives in the middle of nowhere. Okay. It's woods all around him. And he's sitting outside. Her, her husband sitting outside on the porch without a shirt on. Okay. Oh. <laughs> your, your favorite type of people. <laughs> so he's sitting out there and she goes, do you ever have any thoughts about the Rome? The wife says to this guy, do you ever have any thoughts about the Roman empire? And he goes, I have thoughts about the Roman empire all the time. She goes, go on. And he goes, we're, we're our, the, the world that we live in today, the 21st century world is no different than when Rome fell. And he starts going in. You're not expecting this deep, thought to come from this guy without well, a shirt on it is all together <laughs> exactly and so he goes on and he says you know the governments and all these people in the in the roman empire did all that they possibly could to distract people from reality uh they they'd give them bread and they'd give them games and they'd give them free food and they'd give them free entertainment and that would keep them distracted from the realities of what's really going on and he said, "There's no different. It's no different than the world that we live in today. People's noses are in their phone, and they're distracted from sports and entertainment and all of these things. And the reality is, I think, as he would say, the world is living on the edge. The- or, if you want to say, we're like the Wizard of Oz. Uh, that last near the end of the movie, they come back. They did everything that the wizard told them to do. If you remember that movie, everything, and they come back." 
And he said, go back. I'm not ready to do it now. Come back next week. And they go crazy. And the little dog, Toto, goes to the side and pulls the curtain. And so you see the guy, and then he looks at them, and he says, don't pay any attention to the guy in the front. That's the way our world is. Yes. That's exactly the way it is. So anyway, I thought that was interesting, because uh, if you're interested in seeing what the Bible has to say about it, then I encourage you to come this weekend. That's uh, going to be fri- uh, Friday. We'll have our or- shirts on. That's exactly right. And we'll have socks on. We will? We will. Okay, we will. We, plural. I you will come it. with socks. Just for the benefit of me. Okay. Put your socks Well, on. if you're listening and you're wondering, what are these guys talking about? There's a guy on a porch with no shirt. You got to put socks what on. What is going on? Yeah. Well, just uh, Steve always constantly, there's only one rule Steve has ever given me as my boss here at Friends of Israel. And that is when it gets, when I have to get up and speak at a conference, I have to wear socks because I wear loafers without socks. That's right. One of the times I was MC. Uh, and you came, I was to the side of you and I'm looking down and the kid has no socks, has no socks. So I shared, I it have with, my shoes on. Yes. You do I've got have you, nice you, loafers. You, on. Yes, you do. Thank and you. I, so I told Elwood McQuaid, uh, about it. Elwood, who is the executive director here and is, uh, in living in Virginia. And when we did our first equip course, uh, one of, I don't know if it was the first, but I went down with my wife, Alice, and we, uh, interviewed Elwood. It was a great interview. And he gave me on my way home, give these to Chris. Yeah. <laughs> he gave you a pair of Elwood McQuaid socks. I have them sitting on my shelf in my office right now. So put on socks. I will have socks on just for you, my there friend. There you go. And even Elwood. though we're going to be in Florida of all and places. Elwood. Ay, yeah, yeah. Okay. So anyway, we, again, we, uh, we're going to be looking at Daniel. You know, Steve, I can't help but think before we get to Daniel is that the Jew and Gentile podcast is sponsored by FOI Equip. And right now you are going to be wrapping up your three-part series on the Fall Feast of Israel that will be starting tomorrow night at 7.30 p.m. There's still time for people to register if they want to. They can go to foiequip.org, and you can catch Steve's last um, uh, message, which will be all about the Feast of Tabernacles, Steve. That's right. Why don't sukkah. you give us a th- sukkah. sukkah? Why don't they you give us— They build a sukkah on Sukkot. A sukkah on Sukkot. You got, can you say that fast? They a build a sukkah. I got to be careful. That's a tab, That's tabernacle, and they build it on the Feast of Sukkot. Tabernacles. They build a sukkah on Sukkot. Yep. That's for right. the Feast of Tabernacles. That's right. But you're going to be talking about the, the, which is a very celebratory. Oh, it is great. It's uh, We invented Thanksgiving. Yep, exactly. We, look, we invented devotions, right? You got to say the Shema. Yeah, Christians didn't invent that. Uh, we 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 invented that. <laughs> the sandwich? The sandwich? The Earl of Sandwich? No. Go do a Passover and you'll note that there is a section in the in the Seder service uh, where they take two pieces of matzah, a little uh, horseradish, and when the temple stood, they took put meat in between the lamb. But they don't do that now because there's no temple, and it's a sandwich. It's called the Hillel sandwich. Way, way, Rabbi way, Hillel. Way before Earl of Sandwich even existed. He's we a contemporary of Jesus. Sandwich. That's, That's right. right. Jesus was hanging out with the people that invented a, that's right. a sandwich, you know? We are the inventors of lots of things. When I say we, that's where I get to associate with smart people. That's right. But remember, I'm the top 10% of the lower third of my class. <laughs> well, you have to join Steve's class. Uh, his last one is he's wrapping up the uh, Fall Feast of Israel. You can go to foiequip.org to register. And then next month, please, uh, while you're there, you can just... 
register for next month's class, which Thanksgiving. No, no, not yet. Oh, no, Peter Cologne. Peter Cologne on Shabbat. But then we were, I was just talking about how we invented Thanksgiving for tabernacles. You are going to give us the American version of Thanksgiving and talk about it biblically. Well, I'm going to look at the the book of Leviticus and Thanksgiving because it's it's, uh, being thankful to God is embedded in. Into the scriptures, 100%, from but you're going to you're going to talk about it during the month of Thanksgiving 100%, in November, hundred percent. So and December, I think we ought to, Chris. We got to have people need to write it in their calendar. I'm telling you right That's now. That's right. So Thanksgiving, Chris Katolka, scholar, Peter Cologne. No, nobody better than Peter for Shabbat. Scholar yep. for Shabbat. But then in December, you're going to get finally. You know what people don't know, Chris? Our seven listeners do, but you know what people don't know. I'm going to whisper it. Okay. It's only between you and me. Nobody else is listening. Okay. Jesus is Jewish. You're joking. Unbelievable. You're joking. Unbelievable. <laughs> Wait, no, not that one. Is anything okay? No, not that one. Zai There. Live and be well. <laughs> that, I always like to remind our Christian friends that Jesus was Jewish. He never stepped foot in a church. I, I always think, isn't that amazing? They think he's a Christian. <laughs> He is the reason for Christians. He is the reason, and I'm happy to identify as a Christian, but Jesus is Jewish. There weren't any Christians. <laughs> there was no Christmas. There was no Easter. That would be awkward if he celebrated those things. He was, it was, he celebrated Yom Kippur, or honored Yom Kippur, fasted. Absolutely. He, he would have uh, Rosh Hashanah. He was in a sukkah. He was in a sukkah. He was in a sukkah. That's right. Looking up at the stars. And re- being reminded of God's provision for the He's the one who provided. He's probably looking up, going, "Look what I did here! <laughs> Look what I did here!" Anyway, so please join Steve on his class, his last one. Um, and I have another thing I want to say for our listeners. Uh, would you do us a favor? Go to YouTube if you're a YouTube person. You go online, go to YouTube, and uh, subscribe to our FOI Equip uh, YouTube page, where all of these great teaching resources are for you to watch, engage. If you go to FOI Equip um, on YouTube and you subscribe, you'll be notified of all the classes. Like when Steve is done with his class, we take it, we edit it down, we 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 make sure we keep all of his jokes, of course, and then we uh, we publish. And when it. we say we, we mean you. Yeah, but I, it's a corporate. <laughs> you know, Chris is the man. He does it. Well, it's a it's a good time, especially when Steve's doing it. It's a great time, and so you're going to want to be sure to go to FOI Equip on YouTube. And there, be sure to subscribe so that you can get information on when all uh, our great stuff is happening. Um, and also, and wait a minute, text Chris, us too, Steve. That's right. I was just going to say, 424-444-1948. You know, I, Chris, I can't remember any number, but for some reason, that number, 424-444-1948. Text us if you're if you're one, the one, maybe, maybe there's no one listening, but if you are... Text Chris now and to, and say to him when are they going to? They told us they're going to talk about Daniel. They have where? What's going on here? Well, then we should get to Daniel then. But you know, before, next, and, next, and wait before we do. Uh, there's a guy named Paul Harvey who used to be on the radio. He used to have a, and now you know the rest of the story. Yes. And so before you read from chapter two, Chris, I want the theme to be. I I never told you this, but the end of chapter two is where you have Daniel, Meshach. Uh, Meshach, uh, Abednego, Shadrach. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There, there we you go. go. Abednego. My wife was very clear. It's not Abednego. It's Abednego. That's the way it is. 
All right, so uh, for a shout wife. out to Alice. Oh, here we but, go. Somebody's saying hi already. All Steve. right, there you go. But when are uh, you going to talk about Daniel? They texted. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Standing alone, Chris. Chapter two for me. There's all kinds of other themes from chapter two. The dream, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the whole shot. But here you have older teenagers standing alone in the midst of a culture that's living on the edge. Mm. We were talking about living on the edge. It was a world of- Daniel and his three friends, their parents are gone. They're not in their home country. There is a culture that is smacking up against them, which is exactly where we are now. Mm-hmm. And they stood alone, and God bless them. Mm-hmm. So that's the end of the story. So we got to get there. But I wanted to point that out. Standing alone for the living God. That's what Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. I was doing uh, some dev- my devotionals through uh, Daniel and because just to you know, be able to look through it before we, we, we jumped on air and I've been going through. I've tried two birds with one 100%, stone. 100%. Why not? You know, I thought, hey, we're doing Daniel. I might as well spend some time in Daniel. And you know what? What shocked me, Steve, is that I never thought of it like this, but um, there are moments in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, they appear several times where the three of these, these the four of these individuals, yep. Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 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 Yep. Um, they were all together and they dealt with some serious, uh, they were facing some serious pressure. You know, here's one where Daniel says, hey, uh, we don't want to eat the chapter one. We don't want to eat your you know, your food. It could be defiled. Trafe. It's trafe food. That's right. Unclean. It's gentile. And so uh, they they risk. They, Everything. They risk. I mean, they could have died, and but they risked it for the Lord. Uh, there's the Daniel in the lion's den. We all know that one. Um, and uh, there's that pressure again. There's when they were thrown into the fire again, you know. Um, living on the edge. Living on the edge. But, you know, I never realized it, but that same pressure appears here in chapter two before the vision. And I never thought of it before, but that same sense of you could lose your life unless you act uh, and you trust in God, uh, you could lose your life. That moment is here again in chapter two, and it just popped out at me. I didn't even realize it or think about it. And maybe we could go through chapter two and yeah, see go what's ahead. going on. Go ahead. It says in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, so we're talking about 604 BC, probably right now. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his mind was troubled. He had surus and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. And then the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your house turned into a pile of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, You'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. So here, Steve, this is a, a, a perfect example of, you know, the astrologers, the, these magicians, these high um, people of the of Babylonian society embedded, like we had talked about, in Babylonian culture. They're coming in and they're saying, just tell us what you saw and we'll tell you what it means. And the king says, too easy. I want you to tell me my dream so then I know exact that your interpretation of what it is is real. And so now all of a sudden, and if you don't, 
You're dead. You're dead. Okay. Now, what I don't think people, uh, what I didn't realize when I would read this in the past is that this lumps all of them together. They're all, even when Daniel's ready to enter, everybody's life is on the line. Everyone is lumped in. This isn't just like, I'll take a shot at it. No, not everybody. You give me the wrong thing, you're all done. I'm bringing a whole new batch of people in. Yep. And so he goes on and he says, uh, um, once more, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Um, and then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there's only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king. There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great or mighty has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Now, that, I think, is there on purpose, Steve, for later mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. Now, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Steve, they were lumped into those wise men. 100%. They're all looking around going, wait a minute, what? This guy, you're killing me here. Literally, you're yep, killing me. Literally. <laughs> so then it says, uh, so the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Yeah, in other words, <laughs> they were going down without death. Wait a minute. That's right. <laughs> don't, don't kill us yet. We're missing a few guys. We want to make sure you get all of them. That's right, exactly. So, hey, Daniel, come with me. Where are we going? We're going to die. Yeah, that's right. I'd be running back to Jerusalem. That's what I'd be doing at this point. With friends like those guys, who needs enemies, yeah, who, right? who love me in with these knuckleheads? When Ariok, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. That's going to be something that constantly comes up for Daniel's character. He is wise beyond his age. He's got tact. He's, uh, I don't know if I have those qualities, Steve, wisdom and tact, you know, but uh, he's got it. And that's what makes him an amazing leader, Daniel. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Ariok then uh, explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, uh, Hanai, Mishael, and Azariah. Notice they use their... The Hebrew names. The Hebrew names. But notice too, when the when those guys wanted time, he wouldn't give it to them. Yep. Daniel asked for time and he gives it to him. Well, it, we, what changed? Well, we noticed that Daniel from earlier on was rising up the ranks in the king's court. So I'm sure for for Daniel to just simply come in and approach the king and say, give us some more time, that means he had some pool in the Babylonian. Panache. He had the panache. He had the he had the ability to speak to the king. And he probably freely. came calm. They were probably freaked by then, but he had calm. I don't know what it is, but it, it there is a contrast. They asked for time. He said, You're stalling for time. Daniel asked for time and he gives it. He to gives them to him. That's, That's right. That's the hand of God. So then he says, I he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that at the end so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Again, this is one of the reasons why when I talk to Jewish friends about 
uh, Daniel being a prophet, they'll say, well, he wasn't really a prophet because he wasn't getting visions. God was giving him a vision and he was interpreting it for the king. So it's just an interesting little difference of opinion. We believe, of course, he was a prophet. But it says, during the night, the mystery uh, was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, "Praise uh, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness and light that dwells with, uh, with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. What? Dare to be a Daniel. That's all I could say. What a great guy. And think about it, too, because you've not actually gone up to the king yet. That, think about how much confidence he has that he goes, oh, I know this dream now. He hasn't even talked to the king yet. So he's confident that the vision that he knows about now that, that God gave Nebuchadnezzar, he's going, thank you, God, for giving to me. I'd still be scared to death. I mean, what happens if the guy had too much to eat that night? You know, Nebuchadnezzar had too much to eat. He had a couple dreams, you know, but well, he had confidence to know this is what what God has given to us. We're going to share it with the king. When you know you're in the will of God, you are invincible. Same thing happened to Elijah. I call Elijah the prophet of chutzpah. Now, you got to be careful. You're about two and a half feet from me, so when I say chutzpah, I don't spit you. Backed, on you. you backed up. I try. Uh, but chutzpah is guts or gall, and, and Elijah had that because he relied on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Daniel has that same kind of confidence, not in his own ability. That's right. It's in the person and work of the living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and therefore when he got the information from God, when it was revealed to him, it was a slam dunk, bada boom, bada bing. And he was ready to go. And who does he, pra- he praises God. Yes, he does. It, all glory goes to him, but he's pretty confident. Yep. That's what, ha- when you have, when you know you're in the will of God, you're invincible. It's true. And I love the way you could almost sum up that whole prayer by Daniel just saying, thank you, Lord. You are great and mighty and powerful and all wisdom and honor is yours. And so Daniel goes on because now he's going to come to the king. So Daniel went to Ariok, um, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon and said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king. Time out. (laughs) Yeah. He's signaling a timeout. <laughs> That's out. right. King, hold up, hold up. You know what I like, too, is that Daniel is not only saving the life of his Jewish buddies, he's saving the lives of everybody with his with his vision. That's right. All of these people are going to have their lives saved. And so it goes on. It says, Ariok took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found the man among the exiles of Judah who can tell you the, uh, tell the king what his dream means. I think it's so important when these things get pulled out in the text that they cannot be ignored, that... Ariok could have just said, hey, King, Daniel over here, he's got your vision for you. He's got your dream for you and an interpretation. Instead, you notice how they highlight it. Daniel from the exiles of Judah, which means now he's being labeled, and that means God is going to be connected to him because every location in the world had a God connected to that location. Of course, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is connected to Judah and Jerusalem. So when Daniel speaks, he is speaking on behalf of the God of Abraham, Isaac, Isaac and Jacob. That's And he sh- says so in verse 28. That's right. It goes on. It says, as your majesty was lying there. Daniel says, no wise man. Um, uh, or let me go back to verse 26. 
so uh, Ariok took Daniel to the king at once, said, I found the man among the exiles of Judah who can tell the king what uh, his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, what, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he is about. Uh, he, he asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in the bed are these. Steve, Daniel admits, I don't even have the capacity to do what you asked. I am only speaking on behalf of of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who created all things. He gave all the credit to God. And i that's what makes him a man of wisdom and tact, not with just the way that he relates with others, but with the way that he relates with God, because he could have taken all the glory, but he didn't. He gave it right back to God. Well, one of the keys of living on the edge <laughs> is confidence in God. That's right. I, he's. I know you don't. I know I messed up the title. Of I that love that. But living on the edge is where we're at. Daniel, are you telling me he's not living on the edge? Not just him. All the all the Gentile uh, wizards and uh, astrologers and they they were all they're all on the brink of death. Yeah. But Daniel comes in. He has the confidence in the living God, and he said, "I have the answers." But they're not. They're just given to me. They're given to me, and I'm giving them to you. That makes a profound effect on Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, big time, because he's saying, and again, um, as as was I, I wanted to highlight earlier, remember, even the magicians and astrologers said to King Nebuchadnezzar, what you're asking us to do, only the gods can do. And so, but none of their gods spoke. That's the point. That, that's a lowercase g, a plural gods. Uh, they were polytheistic. No, none of their gods spoke. They were silent to Nebuchadnezzar, except for one god, the one and only god spoke. The invisible god. That's exactly right. Yep. And so now he's, uh, the, the uh, vision's about to be shared here. He says, um, this is, as you, your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to the things to come. Steve, that's where um, one of my old professors from Dallas Seminary, uh, maybe some of the people listening know his name, Dwight, Dr. Dwight Pentecost. Uh, I love Dwight Pentecost for two reasons. He's the same height as me, and we share the same birthday. And his dissertation that he wrote that became a very popular book among people studying God's prophetic word was a book called Things to Come. And it comes from this moment where he says, Majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mystery showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anywhere else alive, but so, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly uh, and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were all broken into pieces and became what was like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. 
But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain that filled the whole earth. Chris, you know, uh, I'm old enough since I've been with FOI a long time. One of our Israel My Glory magazines had a statue of Chapter 2. It was blue in the background. I still remember it. I think. I'm not 100% sure. I don't know if our uh, IMG app goes all the way back that far. But I know we have some old magazines here. The Stone Cut Without Hands. Mm -hmm. And it was a great, great uh, picture or image of what Chapter 2 is all about. And Chapter 2 really outlines the future for the nations as a whole and what a, what a future it is. As uh, this gold, silver, uh, bronze, and iron, iron mixed with clay, all really filtering into each other. There's still a little Babylon in, in Medio Persia. There's a little bit of both of them in Greece, and there's a little bit of all three in Rome. But that stone, cut without hands, obliterates it. The next kingdom will have none of the none of the features of the past Gentile kingdoms. The living God's kingdom is going to be raised up from the stone cut without hands, which is a godly, it's the Lord Jesus, it's the Messiah, who's going to crush it, and a mountain arises, the messianic kingdom. That's right. You know, the image is both of a Messiah who would come, uh, the stone cut without hands is definitely an individual that God but then at the same time, it turns into a mountain. A mountain. And the mountain is imagery of Mount Zion. And the law, if you read through Micah chapter 4 and Isaiah, it talks about the fact that the Jerusalem, Mount Zion, uh, will become the highest of the mountains, and from it will flow the Torah, will flow the law to instruct the nations on how to live. And from that, nations will stream to Jerusalem. They will stream to that mountain. So it's the imagery of the mountain is the imagery of where God's presence is. And, of course, that's Jerusalem, uh, especially here in the book of Daniel. So well, You know, Chris, uh, our friend and colleague, Bruce Scott, he and I used to do ministry together in a in a retirement place I, uh, when we were in Chicago. And one of the songs we said— Were you hurting back then, too? Uh, Did you yeah, feel yeah, it? Yeah, go, yeah. Less I now, because I'm old now. Then <laughs> then I had more hope. But one of the songs we said, Come, let's, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord. That is a great song. It's, it's picturing a future ten Gentiles. Ten of you, Chris, are going to grab one of me, and they're going to say, We want to worship, and where are they going to worship? Feast of Tabernacle. That's right. Jerusalem. What a time. What a time. Well, uh, that actually is a great segue for just a quick second that you actually were in a worship group. Uh, was that the worship group? The, no, no, no. That was just Bruce and myself. This, oh, okay. We were with the, we were together with the Friends of Israel. I was in a group called <laughs> the Mount of Olives. <laughs> you were in a group called the Mount of Olives. I was in a singing Didn't group. Didn't you lead them? I was the leader. This is uh, hilarious. That just shows you the dearth of any <laughs> they had talent okay? music <laughs> they had musical talent but they they said i think i was so naive they said oh you you lead us I, uh, well yeah. they liked your charisma oh uh, yeah yeah but i'm telling you when i i that's when i met alice i when i flew to uh atlantic city i carried my cassette tape with me chris of <laughs> one of our presentations we were actually a group that uh, the representative there, Stan Ross, was the representative. 
He was the person that helped disciple me. He was with the Friends of Israel. Uh, and so he had a Bible study, and we volunteered. We just sang. What was amazing, I came to Atlantic City and said, hey, you want to listen to my tape? Yeah. <laughs> Did you say that to Alice? <laughs> She's still pretty. <laughs> no, I don't want to listen to you. And then when she did, she said, wait a minute, you you were chasing people. People would leave. <laughs> I said, no, people really liked it. She's yeah. hey, they must have been desperate. <laughs> they must have been desperate. Well, I'll tell you something. Daniel wasn't desperate. Daniel was not desperate. Daniel was wise. Daniel, he, as we, you look at the end of that, the last verse, it says, and Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the provinces of Babylon, but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Chris, that's the end of the story. Yep. That's the end of the story, because you have four people who are counterculture to everything in Babylon, who ended up and it didn't look that way from circumstances. It didn't look good for anybody. They ended up saving the Gentile uh, servants of the king, and they ended up high up. Yep. And they were the minority the whole time. But in this case, if you're in the minority with God, you're in the majority. That's You know, I, I want to highlight, too, it says this um, after the Daniel shares what the king's dream looked like. It says, this was the dream and now we will interpret it, King. Your Majesty, you are the King of Kings. Now, this is important to understand because this the theme of this will appear again later on in the book of Daniel. But it says, Your Majesty, you are the King of Kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them. You are the head of gold. So Babylon... He's feeling pretty good oh, about yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Gold. I'll take gold any day of the week. Yeah, that's right. And he's up at the top, and he's saying, your your kingdom is... you. This is you. This is you and your kingdom. This is the Babylonian kingdom. Um, and then after that, it says, after you will arise, uh, uh, um, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, the third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as... And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will also be a divided kingdom, yet it will have uh, uh, some strength, some of the strength of the iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united. And more than iron mixes with clay. Any more than iron mixes with clay. And so then all of a sudden, that's when that's when Daniel says, but that picture of the rock that was cut out without human hands, that is the vision that becomes a mountain. That is a vision that will become a kingdom that will never will never break. It won't be like the other kingdoms that have passed away. It will be an eternal kingdom. Uh, it will never come to an end. The great God has shown the king that this will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. And watch what happens. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, fell prostrate before Daniel. Yep. It, no question. He Well, first of all, he said, I'm pretty happy. I'm gold. Yeah, I, I'm gold. <laughs> I'm gold, Jerry. <laughs> I'm gold. Gold, Jerry. But 
But he also realized that Daniel was able to tell him his dream, interpret it, and it made sense to him. And Daniel all along gave credit to God, which meant that he just, I've never been in the presence of this kind of thing before. And he knew to fall face down. To his credit. That's right. Now, the thing that is being set up for us here in Daniel, though, is that the Gentile kingdoms of the world have been laid out before us. That is something that we as Christians can be confident in, is that God has already laid out the kingdoms of the Gentile kingdoms of the world. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Can you imagine having the confidence to say that? It's a certain—well, that's what we say about the Word of God. We are certain that the Word of God is trustworthy and sure. And so when, when we think about the future kingdoms, you know, Nebuchadnezzar sits in the past, but then will come another empire, Persia, Media Persia, and then from there will come Greece and then Rome, and then we believe that there is a future revised Roman Empire, that baked clay with the, with the, um, with the iron that's brittle, will fall apart easy. All of the weight of those Gentile kingdoms is resting on that, which means it's bound to crumble, but ultimately the point is, is that the Fullness of the Gentiles will eventually come to its completion, as Paul says. Uh, um, uh, that Luke highlights the fact that there's a fullness of the Gentiles. Jesus says it. That will come to a completion. He's thinking about these nations, Steve. That's well, what he's thinking in about. In fact, Chris, you know, there are those who don't hold a high view of Scripture and just say, this is so accurate that it couldn't have been written during the time of Nebuchadnezzar, that this is Daniel, or a person using his name, and writing history, not prophecy. That's right. And that's why we're thankful for archaeologists uh, who are able to dig and manuscripts that we find. Uh, this is an old document, Chris. This is prophetic. This is prophetic, and it's looking forward to the Gentile kingdoms. Some that have, the, the majority of them have already fallen, uh, but there's one still yet that has not come to its completion. The Gentile nations are still ruling. We're living on the edge. We're Chris. living on the edge. Living I like on it. the edge. All right, everybody. Well, we'll come back uh, next week and we'll start uh, chapter three of Daniel. This has been very enlightening for me. I hope it has been for you as well, Steve. I, this week you've been sending me news articles left and right. I love finding news items, Chris. And I'm telling you, we're living on the edge. It's crazy times we're living in. Look, I was. Uh, what are you I, going with first here? First one I'm going with is Beachwood, Ohio. Yep. Now, I know about Beachwood, Ohio, because it's the community right next to the community I was raised in, mm -hmm. Cleveland Heights. The, uh, east, Cle the, the east, east side, side of Cleveland. Cleveland Heights, Shaker Heights, University Heights, Beachwood, Solon. I know that whole east side. And by the way, uh, that's where uh, there's a preponderance of Jewish people there. Uh, Cleveland has a vibrant Jewish community, about 80,000 people. And this headline caught my eye, Chris. The so first, it's it's, got, it's comical to me, but it, it only because of the setting. We're talking about a school, Beachwood, Ohio, as a high school. And just to give you an idea, according to the Cleveland Jewish News, it estimates that Beachwood, a city of about 14,000, is 90% Jewish based on a 2011 survey. That doesn't shock me. I When I was there, it was probably 100% Jewish. Well, and whenever I fly into Cleveland, I'm always amazed. There's always a Hasidic Jewish, multiple Hasidic Jewish people on the plane. There's a vibrant community. It is amazing. So here, what's funny is Beachwood hosted a football game. That means that Beachwood High School has a 
football team. Remember, it's mostly a Jewish uh, uh, population that they're drawing these high school students. And to take nothing away from them athletically, uh, it's that's amazing. Most most of my people are not tall. They're not usually real heavy. So what's funny is this football game, first let me tell you the score, which didn't shock me at all. It was a West Side school uh, that uh, called Brooklyn Heights, and they defeated Beachwood 35-3. to three. <laughs> <laughs> so, What was it that you, we were talking about this, and you said, yeah, leave it up to the Jewish people to play football, not going to happen. But when it comes to doing the stats oh, if and you the commentating. Oh, if you to do the statistics, if you would ask us to have an announcer, hello, it's Beachwood High <laughs> against Brooklyn Heights. What a great, okay, we do that. Look at ESPN or any other uh, sports thing, you're going to have Jewish commentators, Jewish writers, Jewish statisticians. We love sports. We do. Great. But So anyway, they played the game 35-3. to three. But Chris, the reason that it made the news, that's not news. Uh, <laughs> mostly Jewish team loses a football game? No, that's not the news. The news is that the coach of the football team, mm-hmm. uh, he allowed uh, racist anti-Semitic language during the football game where they called out in their cadence, you know, where quarterback calls, uh, you know, Peyton Manning used to use the word Omaha. Uh, That was part of his cadence. Well, here they're using the word Nazi. Mm -hmm. Nazi, knowing that this school, the population in this city is mostly Jewish. It was so bad. Uh, I don't know if the superintendent realized it, but, uh, well, here, Beachwood Superintendent Robert Hardis said in an email to students and families that he learned late during the first half of the game that Brooklyn players were repeatedly using the word Nazi to call out football plays during the game. Mm. Ultimately, the coach of Brooklyn Heights resigned. He resigned because of this. But the, it's the impact. First of all, Chris, this football game took place very close to Rosh Hashanah. Therefore, Yom Kippur and not far from Te- the, during the month of Tishrei, right before the Hebrew month of Tishrei, the seventh month, which takes place in September, October. So you're talking about a Jewish, the, the high school has mostly Jewish students, and they know that they're playing a football game and they use the cadence Nazi, which of course references the Holocaust. Not, not a good thing. At all, Steve. Last week, uh, I had uh, the honor to stand next to our dear friend Paula Jaffe, our Jewish friend here in the South Jersey area, who has done fantastic work standing up for the Jewish people, hit uh, her people, uh, making um, uh, standing up for the state of Israel, um, and also, you know, making sure she's fighting against anti-Semitism, fighting against these acts. And so, I went with her to the city, uh, to the, our Camden County commissioners. And we appealed for a resolution to our Camden County uh, here in New Jersey uh, um, commissioners asking them to accept a resolution of defining anti-Semitism. Isn't that great? And so they did. They accepted it. And here's the definition. Think, And, and it all came because of what you were saying, how, uh, you know, it's it's a real issue that even on, in, on high school football, students are saying Nazi uh, to an uh, almost all Jewish team. Um, that is... In, in the 21st century, you know, th- it's absolutely horrible. And as definitions of anything, it feels like today are crumbling. Anybody can say anything and define whatever they want. Anti-Semitism, the hatred of the Jewish people, needs to be defined. 
And so I'll read it really quick. This comes from the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance who defined it. And now there's something like 70 some odd countries that have adopted this uh, this definition. Um, there are several global organizations, uh, even the um, the United Nations adopted it, the European Union. I believe the United States Congress has adopted it. So now it's just it's finding its way all over the place as a definition to stand up against anti-Semitism. And it says, anti-Semitism is a certain perception of Jews which may be expressed as hatred toward Jews. That is, when they say Nazi, that's what they're doing. Uh, rhetorical and physical manifestations of anti-Semitism are directed toward Jewish or non-Jewish individuals and or their property. When they say non-Jewish, they're talking about me. If I stand up against a Jewish person or if I stand up for the state of Israel, I'm not Jewish, but they can still... Attack they, me. They will associate you and lump you with them. Exactly. And the same, so it goes on. Which is exactly what the Nazis did, by the way. That's exactly. If you try to defend a Jewish person who is going to be taken to any of the camps, they warned you. It hap it's, it's happened. There's testimonies of believers and non-believers who saved Jewish people who were thrown into a concentration camp because they helped Jewish people. It goes on, it says, um, uh, non-Jewish individuals and or their property toward Jewish community institutions and religious uh, uh, facilities. So, um, you know, at the end of that meeting, a, a rabbi got up and he just said, you know, we live in an age now that I never thought we would live in. He's a rabbi emeritus of a very big uh, synagogue here in our area of South Jersey in Cherry Hill. And he said, today in the world that we live in, I as a Jewish person need a security guard, an armed security guard to protect me. Um, and he went through the litany of synagogues that were attacked with it just within the past five or six years. And he says, for that reason, we need police officers, armed security in order to worship freely in our country. It is a sad state of affairs. And so uh, Beachwood High School got into the news, unfortunately. And, you know, carrying the theme of football, uh, another thing, this one was really exciting for me. I I follow the NFL, and former Buffalo Bills quarterback baptized, wear shirt proclaiming, God is real. Jim Kelly. Jim Kelly played 11 years for the Buffalo uh, Bills. They were in the Super Bowl four times. Uh, Jim Kelly uh, is a survivor of cancer, and he also is the father of his deceased son, Hunter who had a disease known as K-R-A-B-B-E, mm. Crabe, I think it's pronounced, uh, and he died young. And so in an Instagram post of his own, Jim Cal Kelly spoke about how he found faith in God despite his son Hunter's death from the disease. He said, I'm not a man of many words, and I don't speak Christianese, he wrote. All I know is that God changed my life. After Hunter went to heaven, I was so lost and angry at God. But God loved me anyway and never gave up on me. I'm far from perfect, but God helped me humble myself, seek him for help. Becoming a Christian is the best decision I've made in my life. Mm. I wish I would have come to him sooner, but the timing is perfect. And finally, I was baptized. He wrote, thank you, Hunter. It is because of you I know Jesus, and I will see you again. Wow. You know, all the times he played in a Super Bowl, uh, that's fantastic. That's about the epitome of the NFL. That you, uh, Other than win it, which he never got to do, to play in one, what an amazing thing. But I think he would trade it all, and now he has it with Jesus Christ and a relationship with him. 
baptized. What a what an amazing story. That's just an encouraging story to me. It's an amazing story. Steve, I want to highlight another one here that we that you you sent to me, and maybe you can comment on it. It's the anti-religious group threatens to warn Auburn University after two. <laughs> uh, speaking of being baptized. After, living on the edge, Chris. We're all living on the edge. This is after 200 kids baptized on campus. Uh, it's an absolute joke. This is. Uh, it says an anti-religious group attempting to throw cold water on an Alabama university after the school's football coach was filmed assisting with uh, the this baptism. This is Auburn University, Auburn, so you know. Yep. So, so you know. Go ahead. Uh, with baptism, uh, uh, with the baptism of a student, has a twist interpretation of the First Amendment. A legal expert says on Friday, the Freedom from Religion Foundation (FFRF) sent a letter. To the Auburn University president Christopher Roberts, warning that more than 200 students uh, of 200 students baptisms, one of which was assisted by Auburn Tigers head coach Hugh uh, Hugh Freeze, somehow violated the Constitution's establishment clause. That's just not true at all. It's not freedom from religion. It's freedom no, of religion. 100. percent Auburn University, they said, is a public university, not religious, so it's inappropriate to promote or participate in a religious worship event. Nor can Auburn's coaches proselytize or participate in religious activities with students or hire a chaplain to do so. Well, all they did, the coach went to this baptism. He he went there. Why? He's a Christian. But that doesn't mean that the that it's violating church and state. Chris, he he's a coach. There's some of those students he knows, and he's there to bless it. Explain real briefly what in our circles as evangelicals, what does a baptism do? We we just had Jim Kelly. He he got baptized. These students, which by the way, two hundred Auburn students, it's amazing, baptized in a which is it should be public. That's the way it was in the New Testament, where you're putting yourself out there. Everybody can see. Tell us what is what does it mean to be baptized? I know that people baptize their little kids after they're born. There's a difference between. That kind of baptism and the kind of thing we're talking about here. Yeah, the, the ba- baptism is a identification with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a public identification with it. As you can see, two hundred kids were baptized in front of a in front of each other and in front of others. It's a public declaration that you were dead and now you are alive in Christ. And we believe in a full immersion baptism, which means you go under and you come up. Um, and so. Which, that, by the way, we invented that too. Of course, the mikvah. That's yeah. That's you know I'm all these you. things that Christians you. think they uh, they have. Nope. You owe it. You if you don't like it, blame well, us. Well, which came first, the Christmas tree or the Hanukkah bush? <laughs> <laughs> In that case, you Gentiles get the credit. <laughs> that's right. But that's only because we compromise. <laughs> that's exactly right. But when it comes to baptism, go to the mikvah. Go to the. That's a very. I mean, the mikvah is still done today. In Jewish, in ultra Orthodox Jewish world, for sure. But when you go to Israel, there are mikvahs all around Jerusalem. There are mikvahs all around the land, and but old ones too, dating all three thousand years ago. Exactly, that's where you would go cleanse yourself before you get into the go to the temple to worship. But the, but the thing that has to be said here is that you know you, there it's the separation not from religion. I think that's where a lot of people get confused about our our constitution. The, the 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 founders of our country were never trying to rob people of their religious identification. They were simply trying to provide freedom for it. And not just one particular brand of Christianity, 
but multiple brands of Christianity. They understood that's what the freedom was all about. They but, didn't want to establish a state religion. That's right. Just like the Anglican Church is the state church of the United Kingdom. They didn't want a state church. But that doesn't mean they were trying to uh, uh, eradicate the church or keep it so separate from government that it has no say in it. No, that's not the that's not the point. So it's not freedom from religion. It's freedom of religion. It actually promotes it um, and allows you to thrive, live your faith, to live, thrive, to thrive, to, yeah. to go down to a a pond and baptize two hundred people as and you would invite say, who you want exactly. Invite who you want, and let's face it, Chris. When if you believe that a person is born again and wants to identify and state that publicly, and you are of the same faith, when you hear a friend of yours, an acquaintance, uh, and they say, hey, I'm getting baptized, would you would be there? I'd love to be there. Yep. We In many churches, we celebrate baptisms. Uh, now, I don't believe there are always, uh, it's always been that way. In, in the New Testament, somebody got baptized and became a believer in Yeshua, they were marked out. Mm-hmm. That, that They were publicly unashamed, which could cost them, as it does today in some Muslim countries, where the believer gets baptized, people see it, and they mark them out, and it's not uncommon in some places for death. It's yeah, just because they publicly identify with Jesus as their savior. You know, it's uh, I had asked you before we went on air about this, and I said, you know, would they criticize? Would the freedom from religion group criticize Muslims who were promoting their faith on college campuses or Buddhists or whoever? I don't think we'd hear anything about that. It's because two hundred Christians made a public profession of Christ, and yes, it was on a. Uh, campus where people were, you know, it's uh, publicly funded, but I am sure that there are a lot of things that happen that are religious on these campuses, even though it's publicly funded across the board. That's the whole point. Chris, there are things that happen on a publicly funded uh, campus (laughs) that shouldn't be. That the people would be very upset about. It. Exactly. We, we won't even talk about it. But there's one more thing I want to highlight here because uh, Steve sent, I might have sent this to Steve or Steve might have sent it to me, but um, Anglican minister, speaking of our Anglican friends here, Anglican minister slams progressive Christians as fake, calls notion an oxymoron. An Anglican deacon and British commentator says progressive Christianity is about twisting the truth again. It's all a lie. Uh, you know, I like that this this Anglican minister has got some chutzpah. He's got and he's chutzpah. taken heat from it from his. It, well, he's been defrocked uh, first of all by the Anglican Church, uh, but he's still speaking out and he still wears his his collar. Uh, the by the way, Chris, these are going to be linked for people That's right. to read the full uh, articles that we're reading from. But in recent months, it says a contingent of Roman Catholic bishops in Germany have insisted on blessing same-sex unions. Anglican bishops have given serious thought to updating our father with gender-neutral pronouns. And Pope Francis has knocked American Catholic conservatives at war with liberal ideologies claiming they have a reactionary attitude and ascribing a character of backwardness Mm. to them. That's what he's rebelling against. His name is Calvin Robinson. He, you, You could see him on YouTube. He's got a number of YouTube things. That's right. You know, we we disagree with the theological perspective of the yes. Anglicans, but you know, it's also very important for us to remember is that it was the Anglicans at the turn of the century in the late 1800s and early 1900s who were developing the very um, way of interpreting the Bible 
that we hold to. Um, and uh, they were a part of a history that goes back to early church history. Uh, the one man I keep thinking of is the Anglican uh, chaplain, uh, William Heckler, who worked alongside my bearded brother behind me, Theodore Herzl, to help reestablish a Jewish state. And he didn't do that because he just wanted to help Jewish people. He did it because he believed the prophets as an Anglican. He, he, like Daniel, he was sure. He was the confident. interpretation is sure. And he would tell Theodore Herzl that the Jewish people will be returned to their land with confidence as an Anglican um, uh, chaplain in Vienna. And so uh, there's a lot of great history. You know, we didn't just appear out of nowhere, Steve. We we have a great 100%. history. That and goes. look, we, we do differ from the Anglicans in our doctrine. But but when it comes to this standing standing alone, and that's what Calvin is doing, standing alone, we support him in his proper view of of what the text says. Yes. And it, uh, it doesn't matter wearing a collar, not wearing a collar, being with us doctrinally or not. When it comes to this topic, we stand with him. A hundred percent. Yeah. He relies on what the scriptures teach, and he's getting a lot of flack for that. Yep. So um, that, that all great news articles, Steve. Thanks for yep. sending them my way. But hey, listen, we've so got... So tell us what the Yiddish word of the day is. We went back and forth a little bit, Oh, didn't no, we? you... We nailed no, it. I want you to tell us. Right, you want me to say it. Of course. Well, because it comes from an article that you sent me, um, because in the NFL... <laughs> There's a move that everybody's doing now, and I see it with my team, the Eagles, all the time when they've got to get a. Uh, uh, they're on the uh, one yard line, and they got to be moving. Football. To, oh, we're doing a lot of football. That's right. We? If they got to move one yard to get a first down or one What's yard, it called, Chris? it's called a tush push. A tush push. That they call it a tush push, but that word tush. Is That's a Yiddish, Yiddish word. word. Oh, that, I heard it growing up all the time. Your tuchus. That's right. Tuchus is even more. It's <laughs> that's using. That's even more. But tushy. Uh, it's not. It's not those who. It's not a swear word. It's not a. It's just you're behind. That's right. Uh, Spare the tuchus. Spoil the child. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Jew and the Gentile, it's, you're more Jewish than oh, I am. That's what it would have said if it was written in Yiddish. That's right. It's, so the Philadelphia Eagles have taken Tush to a new level. 100%. The guy gets the ball, and he has three guys behind him pushing his Tush <laughs> until they get over the goal line. Watch it. Watch the game. They've done it. In fact, the announcer said, Chris, that this move is so 100%. That they're trying to make it illegal. Oh, really? Make, yeah, they're trying. They're trying to find a rule and a way that you can't do this anymore. Because as soon as it happens to be the Philadelphia Eagles, as soon as they line up, it's it's been a hundred percent every single time. That sounds, they've scored. That sounds like a very much Judaism. We're uh, gonna find a rule to get rid of that we, rule. That's right. There's <laughs> always a way. Well, hey, you know what? Another little uh, tushy connection here is that Daniel's tushy was on the line. <laughs> The tuchus. It was on the line, and yet God in his faithfulness uh, provided the vision, the dream, the interpretation for Daniel, and he saved not only his life, but his friends' lives as well. So, so wait, Chris, what, what, uh, we got this from the news. I want, what, which was the source? Do you remember? I you can't have, remember, uh, no. You, uh, you sent it to me. I you did send it, it to me. you. I, I, you'll send the link. 
oh, to verify. We yeah. didn't make this up. No, the we didn't make up Tush Push. Tush Push is not a made up Jew and Gentile thing. That is not We're made up. We're just reporting the news. That's right. It's just reporting the news. We are being very factual about the Tush Push, but our Yiddish word of the day is, is Tush. Tush. Tukis. All right, everybody. Hey, listen, thanks so much for joining us on the Jew and Gentile podcast. We got to get our Tukis out of here. Hey, we got a lot to do, okay? Uh, thanks so much for being with us. Really quick, just a fresh reminder. I'm talking to our listeners here. Be sure to go to foiequip.org. Don't you forget that FOI Equip sponsors the Jew and Gentile podcast. So if you like listening to us, if you like being connected to the Jew and Gentile, then please get to foiequip.org. I promise you we are working on these cups, Steve. Well, Chris, before, I know we are, but Chris... We can invite anybody from Tampa to our Jew and Gentile podcast. That's right. We're hoping to do a live Jew and Gentile podcast while we're in Tampa. On Friday. On Friday night. So be there. Get there. 9 p.m. we'll be doing it. But you got to come for the whole thing. We're going to have a great night. there will be night. no tush push. No tush push. You just sit down on your tush and watch. That's okay? right. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next week.